I'm Ian MacArthur, and this is Good Employment Chatter, the podcast of the Greater Manchester Good Employment Charter. In this series, we'll give you an inside view to the lives of key figures across Greater Manchester, their stories, employment journeys, and their perspective on why good employment really matters. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by none other than the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham. Elected as Mayor in 2017, Andy's manifesto made the commitment to develop a good employment charter. So without you, Andy, the charter would not exist and we wouldn't be here today. Many, many thanks for finding time to join us. You're welcome, Ian. No, it's great to be with you. And it's, it's really a great thing to have this podcast, taking the conversation about the good employment charter out, uh, you know, getting more people involved. So well done, well done to you and the team for, for launching it. Thanks, Andy. You've had a long career in British politics. You served in Gordon Brown's cabinet as uh, Chief Secretary to the Treasury, but also as Culture Secretary and Health Secretary through to 2010. You served as Shadow Home Secretary from 2015 to 16, and of course were the MP for Lee from 2001 to 2017. I'm really looking forward to chatting to you today about the challenges ahead and how the Good Work Agenda can help drive forward your vision Greater Manchester. However, before we get into the issues of the day, Andy, I'd like to start where we'll begin with all our guests in this series, with a personal perspective and reflection on work and employment. So before your political career, can you tell us where it all started for you? What was your your very first job, perhaps even as far back as a Saturday job or a a holiday job? (laughs) Well, I think when you read out my CV there, uh, Ian, people would be... uh thinking, my goodness, he's never had a real job, has he? <laughs> With all of those uh, uh, political roles that, that, that I've done. But I did in uh, the past have, have a real job. Um, there, there was a lot of Saturday jobs and bar jobs, that kind of thing. But the one, I guess, that was the sort of first meaningful job, in was um, uh, my role as an unpaid reporter on the Middleton Guardian. That was my first job out of university. And I guess... You can tell by what I've just said there with unpaid reporter. It took me into the realms of not, not the best employment straight straight away. And uh, I certainly remember that experience quite quite vividly, actually. So tell us a bit more about that, Andy. What, what, what was your day like? What were your bosses like? Did that give you any insight into what good employment might look like? Well, newspapers are a tough environment anyway, um, Ian. And I'd just come from studying English at Cambridge. So, you know, I was full of all highfalutin phrases. And the great thing about that job was, you know, it really brought me down to earth. And I learned there that, you know, writing simply and clearly is a, is a, you know, a greater skill actually than, um, you know, flowering it up for a, for a, for a Cambridge essay. Um, So I learned a lot and actually I wouldn't swap it, but it was a very difficult environment. And the media always has been, hasn't it? Where, you know, organizations are able to trade on young people's desperation to get a break in the media to not pay them very well if at all or also not not necessarily to treat them properly and i was certainly the office whipping boy um if something went wrong it was uh i was the one who got the got the flack and to cut a long story short um i eventually walked out of that uh, that job in so uh, i learned a lot in a very short space of time Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I I caught on the fact that it was an unpaid 
um, role to start with, Andy. Um, never mind a real living wage. Um, yeah, it, and I've always been really strong on this point, Ian, as a result of this experience. You know, I, when, I, I, when I left university, I saw friends of mine walk into unpaid internships at places like The Guardian and The, the Times and because they had parents with connections who could afford to, to keep them in those, in those roles. So I didn't have the connections, but nor did I have the money to sustain myself unpaid, uh, traveling to and from uh, Lee to Middleton uh, every day. So in the end, although I walked out because of the way I was treated, I couldn't really sustain it anyway. And I've always called very strongly for paid internships for young people, because the lack of them means that it's people of a certain uh, social class who then populate the media and the legal profession and uh, financial services, because obviously they, they can um, afford to do a, an unpaid uh, internship or an unpaid position. So I've, I've long had very strong feelings uh, about that. And um, as mayor, I've tried to bring through work shadowing opportunities for young people that are properly supported. Yeah, and, and there's a whole range of initiatives across GM that, uh, you know, like the GM Bridge that expose people to work and build those relationships, which are fantastic. Andy, so the, that that gave you maybe a, a flavour of what an unfair workplace could feel like, and and maybe drive some of your feelings towards uh, a, a a more equitable workplace. But w was that experience formative in in thinking about? work fairness and, and maybe your notion of working in public service at that stage and then leading on to political aspirations, how did that work? Yeah, it, it was. So this is the early 90s, uh, Ian. Um, it was, I say, I wouldn't swap it. It was, a, it was a good experience, but I did get a kind of strong sense of the injustice of working in an environment where, you know, people are kind of trading on your desperation to get on in life. And you know, it's something that um, did, did stay with me and then informed some of the, the, the political campaigns I, I kind of ran in, in later life. I used to have a phrase about, uh, about ki kids without connections, you know, how much harder it is for young people who, you know, who don't have parents on the dinner party circuit and all of that, you know, able to open doors for them. You know, that that's still a fact in this country, isn't it? Social mobility is still a bit of a myth at times for a lot of people just because you know they, they never get through the door in the first place to be able to prove themselves so i i do feel that uh, very very strongly uh, indeed and um it's always kind of formed my my kind of political responses i remember something when labor was in government in the education maintenance allowance i was a really big supporter of it because it was a little grant that was given to 16 17 year olds to, to, to follow their dream after secondary school, you know, to go to the college of their choice and to support them to, um, to, to, to aim high. And when it was taken away, it was the cruelest of cuts, actually, I, I always felt. So the free bus pass for 16s to 18s that I've brought through as mayor is very much intended to replace that. It's about saying to young people at that age, there shouldn't be any barrier in your way uh, of you aiming uh, you know, high and going to follow the, the thing that you most want to do. Uh, and in, in a simple way, the R Pass is, is intended to send that message to our amazingly talented teenagers across Greater Manchester. Andy, I can't um, uh, identify more strongly with what you've just said. Um, 
I'm a little bit older than you and you know when I grew up in Scotland um, and I grew up my, my dad died when I was 10 so I grew up with a uh, my, with just my mom and my sister but um, there was no way I would have got to university had it not been for uh, an education grant at that stage um, so that was the biggest um, element of social mobility that facilitated you know my move to um, from a, a working class family into the first person ever to go to university. So it's that sort of intervention that really made a difference personally, and I know it makes a difference uh, a, across Greater Manchester now. Um, good employment conditions have always been at the heart of health and well-being, you know, go back to our industrial ages, but the pandemic has revealed just how important it is for the resilience of our communities going forward. Over the last year, Andy, it is now a year. What lessons have you taken from the past uh, 12 months? I think it's a very simple one, Ian, that's staring us all in the face. And that's the nature of people's work affects their health, whether they will have good health. And one of the things that the pandemic has done, I think, has maybe shocked us out of our complacency when it comes to uh, the, the nature and quality of people's work, uh, because clearly, um, some people are very exposed um, to um, ill health because of because of their work, and I, I hope the pandemic will bring a new a new focus on that that issue. I think people have lived parallel lives over the last twelve months. There have been some people zooming away at home and you know finding the whole stay at home thing pretty, pretty all right actually, and there's others who've been out at work all year have never not been out at work in a situation where their pay and their contract of employment doesn't support them to take time off work should they need to or be asked to do so by the contact tracers you know it's it's very clear to me that this this has been a um a very different experience depending on uh, where people live and, and, and what job they do and i would also uh, raise the issue about workplace safety. It's disappointing to me that the health and safety executive have only classified COVID-19 as a significant workplace concern rather than a serious workplace uh, concern. So I think some people have been out at work in low paid, um, insecure jobs in workplaces that were not entirely safe. And I think that is revealed in the figures uh, for infection. If you look around the country, you can see the communities where more people are in that kind of work, uh, you can see the communities where that is the case, and you can see that reflected in the infection rates. And and moving forward, Andy, that you know the, the the notion of build back better, and we're seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps. Um, how do you see good work playing out um, as we move forward and start reopening the economy again? I think we've got to change the conversation. And I think that's why I said at the start, I really welcome this podcast, uh, Ian, and this chance to, to talk about these issues in depth. How do I see it playing out? We've got to make the moral case for good work in terms of allowing every one of our fellow citizens to have good health and a good life and that you know, their work shouldn't, shouldn't damage that. But also the business case. It can't be good for companies, can it, to, to have people in work who really should be off ill. Uh, it just cannot make sense. Um, and yet we've kind of adopted a, a very short term view of these things where we kind of hammer down people's terms and conditions, we strip away their security. In the end, I don't think that builds a productive uh, 
organization or a productive business. Surely it's the case that the more supported and rewarded people feel, the more they will give back uh, to the organization, the, the greater value that they will create. And we've got to convince people of the business case for, you know, for good work. We have members um, of the Greater Manchester Good Employment Charter who, who can, can point to the evidence that treating people well at work has actually Im improved their bottom line. And I think that's as much where the conversation needs to go, Ian, after the pandemic, as well as saying, well, look, you know, a lot of people have been exposed to illness because of because of the you know, the lack of protection afforded to them by their work. So. I, I hope um, there is a, a renewed focus on all of these on all of these uh, things, and a move away from the fairly toxic um, zero hours culture that we've we, we've allowed to to to, uh, to grow in this country. Yeah, absolutely, Andy, and I think you're right in terms of some of the exemplars we can point to um, who recognise the productivity benefits um, of good employment in their um, organizations, but also um, the the sense of the market now looking at um, only dealing with organizations who look after the staff, who look after the environment, who have a, a, social res a wider social responsibility. And I think that will start to change some of the uh, perception uh, around these agendas. Um, we're, we're in the midst of um, developing a, a real living wage region, Andy, and in the light of last week's 1% offer to the NHS. Um, and perhaps, you know, certainly some commentators are saying, you know, any job is a good job moving forward. Um, so how do we move that debate on, particularly in the vulnerable kind of foundational economies like hospitality, retail, cleaner security staff, etc.? They're going to be a tough nut to crack, aren't they? They are, and I think you've identified a real risk, uh, Ian, in that there will be um, those saying we just need jobs of any any kind, and rather than build back better, there's a real risk of building back worse, isn't there? Um, be, because you know the kind of urgency around the jobs crisis might mean the standards uh, lowered. So that is a risk that needs to be watched against. I think the issue of nurses pay sets a really uh you know well if it to me sets the wrong tone coming out of all of this you know the nhs is by no means out of the woods you know the, the nhs has got a mountain in front of it actually because once it's dealt with the pandemic there's all of the things that have been not done during the pandemic that have been stored up you know the ill, Ill health that will come back at the nhs in a number of dis different ways so you know to Sort of demoralise the workforce now is not a wise, not a wise move, uh, in, in my view. Particularly when the employers have budgeted for a two two percent increase. You know, just on that level, it, it just seems um, it seems totally wrong. But I think we need to make the argument for good work uh, coming out of this, and it's an argument about resilience, isn't it? Uh, people's resilience, community resilience. Um, if God forbid we were to face another pandemic in, in, in the next decade or so, which is, I'm afraid, possible. So I, I just think we need to have a real, we need to do a bit, a bit of soul searching, I think, before we rush uh, ahead with just sort of, you know, kickstarting whatever we can, whatever we, we, we can do. We've got an inequalities commission running in Greater Manchester, and I, I, I will 
kind of look at its findings re really carefully. We need to understand how, you know, Britain has ended up with a with a, a, a number of deaths that, that we have, which is higher than other other comparable countries. And I think the the um, the answers uh, as to why that that has happened are for too many people the poor quality of their, their work and combined with that the, the poor nature of, of, of housing those are fundamentals that are affecting um, the um, I would not just not just the um, strength of our society but also the strength of our economy Ian how long have we talked in this country about a productivity problem I, I think that that issue of product low productivity in parts of British industry is a result of this race to the bottom culture that we often that we often have. We need to think longer term, um, building good, strong, productive workplaces uh, where where employees feel properly supported. You know, in the end, that will be in the best interests of UK PLC. Uh, again, Andy, re really agree with um, your, your sentiments here, and certainly that's where the charter is pointing towards moving forward. We want to engage with as many uh, businesses and employers in the, the foundational economies to um, take them on that journey to, to show them uh, the productivity benefits. Um, we are later in this series um, interviewing Kate Pickett, the uh, chair of the uh, Inequalities Commission, and I'm sure um, what she will share will be really valuable in uh, taking forward some of those uh, agendas, Andy. Um, Liverpool City Region uh, recently launched their Fair Employment Charter and we know that other areas in the north are looking at similar initiatives. How do you think uh, these initiatives can be working together and how, how should they be working together, Andy? Well, I think it's, it's important that there is a degree of consistency between them because otherwise devolution will create such a patchwork of initiatives uh, in the businesses will say, well, this is all too confusing. You know, we're being asked to do one thing in Manchester, something different in Liverpool, something else in Leeds. So I think it is incumbent on myself and the mayor of the Liverpool city region, Steve Rotherham, and the new mayor uh, in West Yorkshire, uh, about to be elected in May, to, to work together to make sure we create from the bottom up um, a, a consistency uh, across the M62 corridor. Uh, but that is what's happening. Um, so the Fair Employment Charter in, in Merseyside very much um, mirrors the uh, Greater Manchester Good Employment Charter. And I think this is kind of exciting, really, Ian, isn't it? You know, that we're trying to change things here from the bottom up rather than from the top down in legislation from Westminster in the way that we've always looked for change to happen. This is a serious attempt to say, can we make change happen differently uh, in the country through a more devolved bottom up uh, approach can we kind of take people with us on a journey and work with enlightened employers who who, who want see the value of this and, and want and want the same so you know i i look back on my first term and, and i'm uh you know proud of the uh, the effort that's gone into the greatest manchester good employment charter you know when i first came up with the idea i couldn't believe that it would be this strongly um uh, based and such a powerful uh uh, set of proposals, to be honest, that has broad support from business and trade unions. It's you've built it uh, in a really uh, inclusive way, Ian, and I think it's stronger for that. And it's ready now, I think, to provide an answer to the world we're about to go into. Um, 
and I, you know, I really hope that um, people will start buying into this, and we can show that devolution in England, um, which is different from the devolution in Scotland and Wales, which is still quite top-down devolution actually. What we're doing here is something different, isn't it? Kind of using the uh, the the power of the combined authority in the city region to to send a message out to the world about Greater Manchester and what it's what it's all about as the home of the trade union movement. I think it is absolutely right that we should be leading leading the way on good quality twenty first century work. And I think it just it says to me something positive, not just about how we treat people here, but also to potential investors in Greater Manchester. It says that we're a place that cares about standards, cares about people um, and I think that makes us attractive I hope as a, as a place where people want to come where, where people want to invest so we've done the groundwork Ian and, I, and, I, and you and your team have done a fantastic uh, job we're really grateful to the Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce the Northwest TUC others who've bought into this uh, this this process but the groundwork is now hopefully about to pay the pay some dividends isn't it as we do turn our attention to um, to the recovery we're hugely excited, Andy, uh, about the uh, the charter and particularly the the movement that started to be created across the M62 corridor. You know, recognising that political geography doesn't always recognise economic geography, and that we've got um, employers right across the north that will want to engage in this agenda. So, yeah, we're we're excited about working with our colleagues in Leeds and Liverpool uh, on this. Um, Andy, you know. Business leaders and organisational leaders have, have really supported uh, their employees over the last 12 months. But recently they've started to hold their hands up and go, Oi, I need help too. Um, my mental health and well-being perhaps isn't what it should be. Now politics is a vocation um, and many of the normal good employment rules don't seem to apply. <laughs> um, you do long hours, you've got no formal support mechanisms, no terms and conditions, I guess. So how do you look after yourself uh, to relax and look after your own health and well-being? Any tips you could share? <laughs> well, you certainly know what you sign up for when you, you, you go into politics, Ian, so I, I, I wouldn't want to seek, uh, seek sympathy, but everything you describe is, is true. It is a it is a, a tough environment uh, at times and yeah I've, I've learned over the years to you know take the good bits uh and not getting carried away and not get too down when the bad things happen you've just got to try and keep, keep a keep a keep a steady course and, and focus on what you're trying to do that's what the tip i would say and this applies to anybody in any uh walk of life or any field of business if you if you know what you're trying to do the difference you're trying to make just keep focused on that because you know, that should be the thing that motivates and inspires you to keep uh, to keep keep going. Um, and if it's a, a meaningful change that you're trying to bring about, then um, then I think you 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 end up being able to sort of uh, take the bumps and the knocks al along the way. But in terms of a more immediate coping mechanism, it is running. I have to say, um, I uh, I've always been a bit of a runner, but I've, I've definitely been um, getting the the case in over this um, over this lockdown, um, and the thing I, I think about uh, physical activity, and maybe everyone's had a, a, this experience to a degree over the last year. Ian, you know, it does help you cope, uh, be it walking, cycling, or, or running. Um, 
you know, we often solve physical activity in this country on the benefits to physical health. You know, that you know, later down the line, you'd be less likely to have a heart attack or diabetes, or you, it may help you control your weight or, or something like that. I think we need to sell it more on the mental health benefits. Physical activity allows you to instantly feel better. It's like an instant hit, isn't it? You know, you, you immediately mm -hmm. are better able to face the day if you've gone out and done something before you start work. And I, I kind of just, I'm so seized of the truth of that. And uh, I just, you know, will really want to work with our colleagues at GM Moving to sort of, you know, get that over to, to people. It helps, it helps you cope, it builds that bit of resilience. Um, it gives you a lift, it lifts your mood, um, it reduces stress. Um, and a lot of the work we're doing in Greater Manchester around the B network and investing in better walking and cycling infrastructure is, is very much linked to this idea of a, more, of a more active city region. I think that, that is a part of you know, building that health resilience within our, within our communities and mental health resilience too. We've, we've got a great working relationship with Greater Sport, Andy, and we're promoting their toolkits for workplaces all the time. And the whole GM Moving uh, initiative is something that we'll promote heavily with employers, especially through uh, these, these times as people um, are struggling at home. Um, they do need to get out. And I know myself, I've, I've discovered walkways and pathways I didn't know existed in the last year. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. uh, just as um, uh, trying to do exactly what you say, lift your mood um, with a walk in the morning. Yeah. Andy, thank you so much. Um, really insightful. Uh, finally, if you were to speak directly to G GM employers, is there one thing you would ask them to consider uh, doing to help us build back better? It's a simple uh, ask, Ian. It's join the conversation about the Greater Manchester Good Employment Charter. Look, look into it open your mind to how it might improve your organization by making it a better place to work, a happier uh, place to work, a more productive place. I, I think come on, come with us on the journey because um, what we're building here is a movement. The more people that join, the stronger it will get. We've, we're a city region, I think, that is entrepreneurial. You know, people here are um, you know, very inventive and uh, you know, always have been, to be honest. It's you know, something that sets Greater Manchester apart from other places, it is an entrepreneurial place, but it combines that entrepreneurialism with a conscience and the need to look after everybody and you know to give back. And, and I just think that's it's such a powerful um, kind of set of values really that Greater Manchester has, you know, making economic progress alongside social progress. I think for me, that's the way the world, the world should be. So, you know, it's, it's what we're all about. And, and in the end, the more businesses that come on this journey with us, I think in the end, we will send out a message about the Greater Manchester economy that will be attractive to the youngest talents in the country. People, younger people, I think, are more conscious of these issues now. They won't you know, put up with poor, poor or discriminatory employment. Um, they, they will want to work in a city that embodies the right values when it comes to these, to these things. So if we're gonna attract the best talent here, we all need to do this together. And I'd just ask all Greater Manchester-based employers to, to think about your own journey to becoming an accredited Greater Manchester Good Employer. Andy, uh, huge thanks again for your time. Um, your continued support and championing of the Charter is hugely appreciated. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for listening. We'd love it if you could subscribe, rate 
and leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GoodEmpCharter and LinkedIn to stay up to date with all the latest charter news. See you next time.